welcome in to the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, part of Vol Basketball Fever. We're a show dedicated exclusively to talking about the Lady Vols and news around the program. Tune in to hear thoughts and discussions from experts who cover the Lady Vols on a daily basis. Now, here's a new episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined once again by the great Maria Cornelius, who covers Lady Vols for Go Vols 247. Maria, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast again. Thank you, Nathaniel. Always happy to be here. Absolutely. Well, if you guys are, are listening on your podcaster of choice, you can also go to their YouTube channel, just Vol Basketball Fever, and watch this as well. You can see Maria and I talking and, and having a discussion here about Lady Vols. And if you're here on YouTube, thank you so much and give this video a like and subscribe while you're here as well. We really, really appreciate it. I think by the time this goes up, hopefully we'll have reached 100 subscribers, which I know doesn't seem like a lot, but we really appreciate it here. So th- thank you very much for all the support. Maria, I was hoping to have you on at this point. I, I messaged you like a week ago saying I'd love to have you on, you know, to talk about the UConn game and the week that was for Tennessee, to, you know, to pre- preview what I, I'm still very excited about it, but to preview, you know, in my opinion, the best uh, rivalry in women's college basketball. I'm probably one of the best rivalries just in basketball in general, but uh, it's been rough. It's been a rough week for the Lady Falls, uh, to say the least, since I last did a podcast with Cora Hall of Knox News. We unfortunately have seen Lady Vols suffer two losses and not just two losses, but two road losses that I I didn't see coming. I I, I would understand, you know, the loss to Florida just in general, uh, but losing by 25 points was not what I was expecting. So unfortunately, Maria, we've had Lady Vols go and and lose their first SEC game of the season in a 10 point loss on the road to a a SEC winless Auburn team bounced back and and got a, a nice win against Arkansas at home, 86-83, in a game that I, I was genuinely enjoying watching. It was a back-and-forth affair. Uh, very nervous during the game, but it was a fun game to watch. And then Lady Vols go back on the road against Florida. And, and again, Florida has been you know, improved their play and has been playing well. But then to lose by 25 points in a game where you know they trailed by, I think, seven or eight at halftime, and I thought, okay, this is doable. They can come back. They can come back. And then just things fell apart in the third quarter and they, they never were able to, to do anything in the fourth. I, I have a lot of questions about just kind of overall, I guess, the last couple weeks. But I think to me, what seems it's what's happened the last three games has been, you know, the big difference is there's no Kean Green. And my question, my first question to you is, is this really all just because of, of losing Kean Green? You know, she she's obviously a really good leader on the floor and, and you know, the most experienced player out there. But it's not like you, you know, you went the whole first part of the season without Ray Burrell and this didn't happen. Is it, how much of it do you really put on the fact that Kean Green has been out and, you know, hasn't been on the court for the last three games for Tennessee? It's a factor. I mean, I'm not going to discount the factor at all because when she went down in that Georgia game, my first thought was, Oh, and not, not a word I'm going to say on your, on your podcast. <laughs> I thought this is going, this is bad. She is the one who keeps the team calm keeps the team on track. Her voice is one almost like another coach on the floor or in the huddles. So I thought this is, this is going to be a tough adjustment for the team to make. Does that account for in totality, these two losses? Absolutely not. I think, I think a couple things happened. One, you know, Tess Darby had been in the starting lineup all season. 
because she started because in the first game because Jordan Horston had a ankle injury she was rehabbing, and then she started in the second game because Ray Burrell got hurt in the first game and she stayed in the starting lineup, and then she had to go under the health and safety protocols and she missed a week. And now, now she's back. And then obviously the obvious step was to put Ray Burrell into the starting lineup. I think this is a team that gets used to its, the, how it's who's on the floor and what roles they're playing. And now they've got to adjust. They've got to adjust to kind of a new look. And so far they haven't completely adjusted to that. And, and, you know, Kelly said it'll be situational. There could be scenarios where she returns Tess Darby to the starting lineup. And I'm not saying that would replace Ray. I mean, Kelly's not afraid to move around parts, but she'll base it on what she sees in practice. Now, this week, there's no time for practice. I, I don't, I'm not sure you would change it this, this game or the game after. I mean, they, they had to have an off day. Today was an off day. You have to give it to them. They're in season, in class. They traveled to Hartford on Saturday. So Saturday is going to be film session, on-floor scout, you know, practice, and then a noon tip-off. So your shoot-around would be at like 7 in the morning. You're not going to do a shoot-around in Hartford. So there's really not a lot of court time to reassess all of what went wrong in, in, the, in the Auburn and, and Florida games. I do think the biggest factor is the style of play that Auburn and Florida can play because that is the scout on Tennessee now. Harass them with pressure and be very physical with them and see what happens because sometimes it's going to get called and a lot of times in the SEC, it's not going to get called. And Tennessee has struggled so far now on the road with two teams that picked up the pressure. I mean, on the ball, very good pressure and teams that were very physical with them on the perimeter and inside. And Tennessee right now has got to to reestablish that, that it can play that way. The the turnovers, are, I mean, you, we all see them. The, the turnovers yeah. are a tremendous concern. And I'm looking at the rest of the schedule. I mean, Vanderbilt, Missouri and Vanderbilt are next week. Uh, Missouri, Vanderbilt gave Tennessee all kinds of trouble with that half-court pressure. So you know that's coming. Alabama will put pressure on the ball. South Carolina is next. They will put pressure on the ball. Mississippi State will put pressure on the ball. And then LSU, which may be the hardest on-ball defensive team to go up against in the league. So I think part of this is the way the schedule has unfolded, Hmm. too. They are encountering teams that are able to put a lot of pressure on them and get very physical with them and – so far, it has not worked out well. And and I think Kelly gave a very telling remark when she was talking about, you know, when they first got that number one seed, you know, projected. I mean, those are only projected. And Kelly said, I'm not so concerned about the seed as I am about the matchup. And I thought, yeah, Kelly's always looking ahead. I mean, if she looks at those brackets, whatever they may be, and sees a team that puts tremendous pressure on the ball full court, that's going to be a little more problematic than say a team that's going to back up and let you set up your, your half court, your half court offense. So the Florida coach even said after the game, if we had let Tennessee initiate their offense from the arc and post up our guards, the game was going to be over in the first quarter. And Florida did not let Tennessee do that. And then just ran away with the game. I think what Kelly was the most disappointed by was that second half effort 
um, that just caused that, that game to just become an absolute runaway. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of mention that, go back to that, because it's one thing to lose to Auburn on, on the road. I mean, obviously that was shocking loss because at that point, Lady Vols were still rolling, and then they lose to a team that had one SEC game that season or dating back to, I mean, it had been a long time since Auburn actually won an SEC game. Um, but as, I think as you had correctly pointed out on Twitter and even on the broadcast, they'd showed that like Auburn had gotten very close against some really good competition in SEC play up until that game. Unfortunately for the Lady Vols, it, they just happened to break through against them. Um, but then you, you bounce back and beat Arkansas. And I thought, okay, hopefully that just a, was a one-off because Arkansas is a is a solid team. They, you know, Tennessee had a rough time against them on the road too. And I thought, you know, that just is what it is. Arkansas is a very good team that's going to give a lot of teams fits and has given a lot of teams fits. So I thought, okay, they bounce back. Everything's kind of back on track, back okay. And then the Florida game happened, which I... I was going to say unfortunately, but I guess maybe fortunately didn't get to really watch it because uh, I was actually recording the, the, the Vol Basketball Fever podcast with Gene when it was going on, but I was keeping up with it online uh, through tweets from you and Cora and, and other people who are, who are watching it too and just watching the stat cast and stuff. And obviously there were a lot of turnovers in the first half. It seemed like turnovers weren't as big of a deal in the second half for the Lady Vols, but I saw a lot of people commenting and talking about the defensive effort and that it did not seem like what the Lady Vols had been playing the last, you know, couple months in, in terms of the effort on the defensive end, the get back on the transition defense, especially because, I mean, and I think that's, that's kind of reflected in the stats. You look at uh, the fast break points, Florida had 24 fast break points. They had 38 points of the paint, 26 points off turbos. I mean, th- they were being very opportunistic. And again, they got a lot of points on the fast break. Did you, did you notice that when you're watching it? Did Kelly Harper said anything after the game about, about the defense? Because I, I I did see a lot of people commenting and saying that uh, the defense really concerned them in that Florida game, especially in the second half. They, they Kelly seemed more. I mean, she obviously did not like the defensive effort because or the board play. They got mm-hmm. out rebounded, uh, which is very rare for Tennessee. Yep. What she particularly didn't like is that one mistake led to another, which led to another, and the next thing you know, you're down 10, 12, 15 points. She also said, you know, the, the turnovers we made were, were you know, the, the worst kind in the open floor, mm. sometimes at midcourt, sometimes before you'd even gotten the ball across midcourt. That's a layup for Florida. And that's, she said that's what really upset her was the inability to initiate their offense get the team into running plays and then run the plays that were called. And I mean, you, if you watch her post game video, Kelly is very restrained. She's not the kind of coach that's going to slam her players to the media, but you could see she was, she was, she was not happy. She was, she was an angry, you could see it that she looked tired, but she also looked very angry. Like she was choosing some words kind of, kind of carefully in, in that post game. I mean, she'll tell her players what they need to hear. She Kelly's just not one to say it to the media. Which I respect. And I think that most coaches are that way. You definitely have some that'll uh, say things to the media that I, I don't think they should say. But the, most coaches will, like you said, they'll they'll choose their words wisely in press conferences, post-game, or, or you know, just regular talking to the media. But they let their players know what they need to know. And I, I definitely think that is Coach Harbour's way of – She's not going to badmouth her team, you know, publicly, but she will tell them what they need to hear, <laughs> what she wants them to hear uh, privately in the locker room and stuff too. But I, I, I was going to ask you about Coach Harper's post game. I only got to see a little kind of snippets here and there of um, her post game, you know, comments and, and the clips and stuff from her her presser. So you, you said that she just seemed very uh, 
tired but also angry and I, i'm curious she hasn't talked they haven't spoken to the media since that game have they i'm assuming since it was such yeah, a kelly turnaround. talked to the uh, media today okay, uh, about the yukon game because some yukon mm-hmm. media wanted to be in there and i think some uh nashville media was in there you know it's this is still a big big game oh yeah uh tennessee yukon so there was definitely and, and normally there might not be an, an extra media availability like that right after a game but with this game uh kelly did she was you know she looked more like kelly this uh this morning smiling uh, actually it was about lunchtime she's smiling uh you know upbeat you know handling the questions well i did ask her about you know jordan horston has carried this team in january and I did ask her about who else could could step up because she struggled. But I mean, you can't expect Jordan Horston to come through with double doubles every single game and, and bail you out. That's just not how Tennessee is built. They're built with everybody having a role and everybody playing that role. And these roles can vary game to game. I mean, they could be different top scores. It's not like there's a there's a one solid this this is the play. You know, teams that have one really good player, they tend to do very well stat wise. But the teams don't always win a whole lot. I mean, they're not cutting nets because you don't, you can't, you you need parts around. You need a team where everybody has a part and knows what they're doing. And against Florida, nobody else stepped up. I mean, only Alexis Dye even reached 10 points. I mean, that's unheard of for Tennessee. One, one double-digit score. And and they you're right, they did clean up the turnovers. They had 13 in the first half and only five in the second I will point out that that is that is what Florida does. They uh, turned over South Carolina on Sunday twenty one times, Whew. and had Florida not started that game, they started that game one of nineteen from the field, and then still caught up to South Carolina and turned it into just a twelve point loss. Had they started against South Carolina the way they started against Tennessee with twenty one turnovers by the Gamecocks, they the Florida may have knocked off one and two in the SEC. In a two-game span, but you know that what ifs are, are are fun. But you know the fact of the matter is South Carolina won. I don't I don't think any South Carolina or Tennessee wants to see Florida in Nashville in the SEC tournament. I don't think anybody does right now. And you mentioned you know how much one player can make a difference. Or I mean, look at Florida. They they obviously lost one of their leading scorers. She got hurt and then decided to transfer to to Maryland and has left the team. And Florida's been on an absolute roll since then. Sometimes if, if you have issues within a team where, you know, somebody doesn't want to be there or things are tense with players, and I'm not picking sides. If a player needs to transfer, transfer. We not, None of us ever know the circumstances of why any player leaves. That's I, I never put the blame on a player leaving because we don't know what that player, what led that player to that decision to leave. But it can cause – rifts within a team and once you resolve that it can be the best situation for for both sides and and florida seems to have really gotten themselves on track especially um now the sec schedule is as quirky as can be i mean tennessee in their last eight games have played two at home and and obviously one of those games is uconn so the sec didn't schedule that right florida has basically spent january in gainesville they've got six games to go in the league only two of those are in Gainesville. <laughs> so I, it's, 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 it's a really, it's an odd schedule of, for everybody where you've got these just long stretches on the road, which takes a toll on the team. I'd I like to see if the conference could even that out a little bit to where teams are, 
are not on the road for such long periods of time. But yeah. I, get, I mean, it's hard. It's not easy to get 14 teams all lined up to play each other. Mm-hmm. Like you say, yeah, Lady Vols have uh, more home games down the stretch than road games. Man, <laughs> uh, two of the three road games they have are, are arguably their two toughest road games of the year with UConn and uh, South Carolina left. I mean, it's easier in a way, but also, I mean, it doesn't really get that much easier for the Lady Vols moving forward either. Um no. Yeah, before before we get to that UConn game, because I obviously do want to talk about that because it's huge. And again, like I said, I, I think it's the best rivalry in women's basketball and possibly all of just college basketball in general. Um, but I I know from the Florida game, you, you talked about you know they started out one of nineteen against South Carolina. Was well, not the case against Lady Vols. They they shot, other than the the second quarter where I look at the stats now, they're five of nineteen in that quarter. Other than that, they shot over sixty percent in in the other three quarters, sixty four percent in the first quarter, 69% in the third quarter, and then 62.5% in the fourth quarter. How much of that was, to, to liken it, I guess, to the men's game, too, you look at that that loss the men's team had uh, against Kentucky in Rupp Arena, where Kentucky was beaten. And no matter who played that night, Kentucky was beating them. They, they could not miss a shot in that game. Is Do you kind of count this one up as that a little bit? Because I, I know, obviously, there are things to pick apart from this game. Say, hey, Lady Vols did not do this well, didn't do that well. But is this also a case of Florida was just hitting shots and it didn't matter how good of a defense Tennessee was playing that this was just that was just going to happen they were going to score and score a lot because sometimes it just does happen sometimes you get to to borrow a phrase from a friend of mine and you know obviously does radio in Knoxville Jason Swain sometimes you get thrown into an L-shaped ambush and you're just you can't you it just happens and you're just going to get the loss no matter what happens is that kind of what happened here because Obviously, I think Lady Vols could have made it look better than twenty-five point loss if they'd played better. But the way Florida is playing, I don't, I don't know that all of that is exclusively on on Tennessee's defense. The majority of it is, unfortunately. Now, okay. part of it is on the offense because they gave up so many fast break. Most of those fast break points were turnovers mm. and buckets, and mm-hmm. that's an easy way to score. That's a fun way to score. Did Florida hit some tough shots? Absolutely. At, at times, could Florida not miss? Absolutely. They were locked in offensively and and they have been putting up a lot of points. But was Tennessee's defense a, a porous and 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 leaving players open? Yes. Was it as, as st- strong as it needs to be in, inside? No. I mean, nobody seemed you know how Pat would always say you've got to play with a sense of urgency. There was no real sense of urgency in this game. And then the final score got even worse because. I think Kelly had seen enough and pretty much had everybody on the bench in. I think she had pulled every single starter and, and Florida closed with an 11-0 run. Um, And and Tennessee did not shoot well. They shot decently from the field. They, you know, not, not horribly, but not that well. I mean, 46% from the line, but they only took, what were they from the line? Seven of 15. So, yeah, forty six point seven percent from the line is pretty, pretty rough. They shot yeah. thirty seven and a half, which isn't really that bad. But I, I think if you if you get a chance to go back and watch it, you'll see probably one of Tennessee's uh, least effective defensive efforts of the entire season. And that Kelly was disappointed in that too that they didn't guard anybody in the second half and couldn't take care of the ball in the first half. Well. I, again, this last thing before we get to the UConn game, I, I obviously not a surprise here. Seen a lot of um, very dramatic and very downtrodden comments on social media for after the game, and a lot of it too, not not just from 
people who don't really pay attention to Lady Vols and only do it when they, you know, big things happen, bad or good, but actually from hardcore fans who, you know, watch every single game and have kept it with their program for years. A lot of people, you know, upset over the last couple of week, week and a half or so. And you've been covering this team for, you know, a long time, Maria, and you've seen the ups and downs. You've seen obviously the highest of highs with, with national titles and you've seen lows and you've, I mean, this, this seems like not, obviously this is not like the lowest that program's ever been because I still think they're obviously in a good spot, but what would you say to the fans who are hanging their heads and who, who are feeling like, oh my God, like have, has the has the team peaked? Has you know have they on the on the downhill slide now? Like what what would you say to help kind of raise the spirits? Or are you on the? I, I don't think you are. You're not on the you're not on the one ready to jump off the bridge. You you don't seem that way to me. So what would you say to those who are feeling still down and and, and worried about the rest of the season for this team? I did tell several people during the game either via DM. Or, or at mentions. If you keep at mentioning at mentioning me, you're, I'm going to send you my thera- a therapist bill for for <laughs> trying to talk you down from this. I mean, that's why they're fans. They yep. get, I mean, the highest of highs, and they do. They get way up here and they're winning, and they get way down there when Tennessee's losing. I've been covering this. I don't know what 25 years. I just stay on a flat line. You cannot cover a season. If you live and die and ride that emotional wave, I mean, when the game is over, I mean, I guess some people go scream or yell or go to bed or drink or I got to get to work when the game is over. I <laughs> yeah. mean, so I, I can't you you have to I, I, a season is long. It's long for media. It's long for the players. And I now I said in preseason. I thought the people saying this were was a Final Four team. I thought that was too much too soon. I said Sweet Sixteen. I mean, Tennessee needs to get out of the first round at this point, uh, or past yeah. the second round. Uh, they got to the second round. I said a Sweet Sixteen would be improvement. I'm not. I'm just not seeing a Final Four just yet. Now, if that is your goal in a championship, it should be. If you tell mm-hmm. me, well, our goal was to make the Sweet Sixteen. If you're within the program, you're going to be like. That's your goal. I mean, your goal has yep. got to be to win a championship. But if if I'm assessing it as a media member from outside, I'm thinking that that would be a that would be a, 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 a huge step in the right direction. I kept telling people this Tennessee team is gonna they're gonna need time to figure out roles and figure out you know who who's scoring and who's doing what. And I well, obviously wasn't counting on Kean Green being out and Ray Burrell being out. They weathered the Ray Burrell so far. They haven't weathered Kean. And I'll go back to Ken at, 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 when I talked about the physicality. Mm-hmm. A lot of Tennessee players don't like that kind of physical play. It rattles them. They don't like the – and it's not being called. They're getting frustrated. They're getting grabbed. They're getting held. Sometimes they're even just getting hugged. And they get they let it bother them. Kean Green was one of those players that would just deliver it herself. I mean, sometimes, you know, she would get caught for a charge, and I'm thinking she did that on purpose. She'd lower that shoulder and just flatten somebody. And that person's going to think twice when that before they get in front of you or grab you again. If you just, I mean, you can you can hit somebody hard in basketball. Mm-hmm. So th- they're missing that because she wasn't afraid to sort of be an enforcer out there. And Kean Green is as strong as an ox. I mean, she is one of the most. Phys- you don't look at her and think physically imposing, but I I think if I were picking up teams that I needed somebody in a in a brawl fight, I'm picking Kean first. I'm like, I want Kean on my side if we're you know going to rumble here. But I told fans, this team is going to take some hits. They're coming this season. They're definitely going to take some hits. Would I have thought Auburn and Florida would be the hits? No. I can't say that I thought those are going to be the danger games. But right. that's why the season plays out. And 
And that's why, you know, you, you line up and play these games. Tennessee's also dealing with the fact that coaches are saying Tennessee's back. Joni Taylor said it. They're saying this unprompted sometimes. Uh, Mike Neighbors said it. Tennessee is back to being that program that you have to worry about. I mean, when, when Tennessee was behind, uh, when Tennessee was look after Tennessee lost the game, I did the score and I think a South Carolina beat writer tweeted my tweet and said, 20 more minutes because South Carolina was at halftime and the Gamecocks will have sole place of first place. I, you, I would, nobody would have thought going into the season that South Carolina would be looking at Tennessee as the one chasing it to the top. It, yeah. They would have yeah. picked somebody else. So they're back to being everybody's circled game. You are going to get t- – Tennessee is going to get your absolute best shot. Look at the post-game celebrations, the Auburn's, Florida's. This is a big yes. deal when you beat Tennessee. So I, I think – I think – my opinion is – I try to tell fans, in my opinion, they, they overachieved to this point. And yeah. now can they can they harness that momentum again? Absolutely, especially in postseason. Postseason, anything can happen. February, you're just trying to survive the month. You don't want injuries, and you want to get through it as best you can. Would a win Sunday help their momentum? Yes, because I think it would help their confidence. That I don't care what UConn is ranked or Tennessee is ranked. They could be unranked and meet each other. It's like Duke, North Carolina, and men, and I'm a Tar Heel, and people know. I mean, that is the game. You you tune in. You you want to see that game. And I realize it's not the same at all with Pat gone, but it is still Tennessee-UConn, and it's still going to bring a lot of national attention and different eyeballs to the game. So for the sanity of my Twitter feed, I need Tennessee to do well so I don't have to just like – I mean, I'll have like 100 app mentions, and I mean, they're oh just boy. all just losing their minds. Some of them I just, I just have to scroll past. I don't, I don't have time to, to talk them off the ledge on a, on a loss. No, I feel you there. I absolutely understand that one. <laughs> um, you made a couple of good points I want to get back to, and then we'll, we'll move on to the UConn game. You're right. I, I think this team had – kind of overachieved to this point because you look at again overcoming the loss of Ray Burrell the fact they started off so well without her was impressive but you even look at before she returned that when she did return there were so many games I thought wow the Lady Vols were lucky to win that game and they gritted out a victory in that game because of either turnovers or because of the other team hitting shot or just the offense not coming along whatever it was the Lady Vols had multiple games where it was close for the first two, three quarters, and then suddenly Lady Vols pulled ahead in the fourth. And I mean, or had to go to overtime to do it. I mean, there were multiple games that, that, that Alabama, Alabama game, excuse me, the uh, well, that, that one was one they pulled away in the fourth. The both both Arkansas games were, were ones I'd circle. Uh, the Ole Miss game was one that that got interesting later than it really should have. Again, you mentioned Vanderbilt gave them fits too. I mean, there were multiple games, and that's just in the SEC. You could look back at USF, UCF early in the year, uh, Virginia Tech, also the non-conference schedule. I mean, there there were multiple games that Lady Vols, like I said, Texas game too. You can point to they were lucky. You're, you're good, lucky, whatever. You know, you, you say you're if you're a good team, you create your own luck. But still, like give them credit for the wins but they were lucky to win some of those games and and i think you made a good point other good point i agree with is that getting to the sweet 16 would be progress tennessee hasn't been to the sweet 16 since 2016 which is shocking to think about it it's been six years i guess i mean technically five tournaments because that the 2019 tournament or 2020 tournament didn't happen but it's been you know it'll be six years by the time this tournament comes around that the lay balls have you know since they've made it to the sweet 16 if they get there 
first time in six years since it made it to Sweet 16, like you said, that's progress. It's not where you want to be ultimately, but that's measurable progress from where the, the last four or five years have been. So again, I, I think great points there. And I think that the sky's not falling. <laughs> They're more than capable of bouncing back. They, they need transition time to learn how to play without key and green, like you said, and kind of get used to the physicality that they're being presented with. Because you look at earlier in the year when they lost Ray, yes, they played UCF and USF and Texas immediately after, but and they also Kansas and Oklahoma State, but they, they had time to still adjust. They, th- those teams are, are good, don't get me wrong, but they're not SEC teams who have the book on you. They're not teams who play you every single year and know, at this point, Kelly Harbor's third year, know kind of what you'd like to do and your tendencies. USF, UCF, Texas don't play lay balls every single year, aren't in the SEC, don't have the game plan for them every year. So it's a long, convoluted answer, but I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's time to really panic. And I get, again, I, I understand being upset, especially after the way that, that game ended and how, how it all happened. But anyway, Maria, let's talk about UConn because huge game on the road. It's gigantic rivalry. It's a game where, I mean, UConn's banged up. They're without Paige Beckers. They lost uh, one of their forwards. I forgot her name, but they lost her for, you know, she's out right now too. So it's not like UConn is at full strength. Lady Vols aren't at full strength. Lady Vols are coming in off of the worst loss of the season at this point in terms of at least, you know, point differential. And they've lost two of the last three games. UConn has not looked as good this year as they have in years past. Again, partially because of injury, but also the roster is not, I don't think nearly as deep as they've been in years past either. I'll get to some kind of history here in a second, because I know you have some incredible stories from watching UConn and Tennessee play in the past, but looking at this game specifically, how, because it's still, it's in Hartford, it's a noon tip off Eastern time, which I wish it was later, but it is what it is. It's on Fox. What stands out to you about this game? Other than you know the obvious, it's Tennessee UConn, but what about UConn really stands out to you without Paige Beckers? And again, with you know them not being, the premier UConn they have been, but what, what stands out about the Huskies to you? Well, they're, they're a team that, that, that this, I mean, I think there's already been a national story that this is a team that this is a big game for them in terms of establishing their NCAA tournament resume, because the rest of their conference is, are, are not teams that can really do anything to boost their, their standing there. So mm-hmm. Tennessee is still a top 10 team. And you want you don't want to lose on your home floor ever. So nope. this this game is not a meaningless game for UConn, nor is it a meaningless game for Tennessee. This is a big rivalry. You don't want to to lose another game. And you want and Kelly wants her first win in, in this series. Um now UConn is going to be much more rested, uh, but they were supposed to play Butler tonight, and Butler can't travel because of the Midwest weather. So they're idle. And Tennessee is coming in there literally lipping out of Gainesville yep. and having, you know, basically one day to prepare and get ready. So it, it's going – is it going to be a challenge for Tennessee? Yes. I mean, I didn't think Tennessee had their legs against Florida, and I know none of the players or coaches want to use that as an excuse, but that team looked tired to me from the get-go. And after an overtime game where players logged 40 minutes, 38 minutes, 35 minutes – I think I think it was a factor. Now, once the game gets underway, you just have you just have to deal with it. And and I'm not I guess like Kelly said, she didn't want to go that way because she didn't want to take anything away from Florida. Florida played so well. You got to give props to the Gators. You know, t- they beat Tennessee. Tennessee didn't lose this game. T- uh, Florida beat Tennessee hands down. Not 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 even a, a question of the outcome of that game. So 
So I I think, I mean, I mean, you the the home team is going to be the favored team. Now has Kelly shown that she can get Tennessee ready for a big game? Yes, I mean, UConn was really good when Tennessee had to go in there two years ago to restart this series, and they actually I think had a lead at halftime or. Or they went up in the first quarter, and then the second half, sort of, they, they just, you know, UConn really turned on the Jets. Actually, one of their players that's hurt, uh, Griffin, was one of the key players in that game because of her energy. Her, She just re, she changed the tone of the defense on that game, and that really helped Connecticut. And then, of course, the game here, Tennessee needed a stop, uh, a missed defensive assignment. I went back and looked at the tape of that Paige Booker shot. It was a heck of a shot by a freshman. It was also a completely blown defensive assignment by Tennessee. And you can't leave a shooter like that open in the, in the, in the closing seconds of a game. So, so Kelly has established, I, I know there are some crazy people who already, you know, they, it's like they wait. I don't think they ever really back the Lady Vols or Kelly because it's like they just lie and wait like a tiger waiting for, you know, the prey to go by until there's a moment for them to pounce. And then, if Tennessee wins, they're going to retreat right back into the tall weeds until mm-hmm. until they they come out. They need to be like a ball and just stay lost in the high weeds instead of uh, <laughs> instead of so don't at mention me. I, I don't I don't have any patience for it at this point in my life. I usually just mute the ones that are rude. I just get done with them. Then, yeah. then they can at mention me to their heart's desire, and I'm not going to see any of them. So they can just practice their typing skills on Twitter. That doesn't bother me, but. I think it would be a big deal for Tennessee to win. I think it would it it would give them the first win in this series since it was since it ended and and on uh, 2007. I will point out Tennessee had a three game winning streak when mm-hmm. Pat ended that series. People tend to forget that, especially the youngsters. They don't know why Pat ended it or what went down and where Tennessee was at when it when it ended it. Tennessee had three straight wins and Candace Parker coming back the next season and Pat still pulled the plug on it. She, she was absolutely done with it. So I, I think it'll be uh, the noon tip. I, this may be better for Tennessee. They don't do well in night games on the road. I, I guess, I don't know. They don't sit around, sit around all day. You wait. I mean, Tennessee may be better off just waking up and going to the gym. So mm. maybe this noon tip will be a better one for, for Tennessee. Get up and get the game going. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good point. Yeah, I actually actually asked Kelly about it in the press conference today. I said, are you kind of glad it's a noon tip and not like, say, four or six? Because, I mean, they've had two evening tips or Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt, at Auburn and at Florida. They've had evening tips on the road and they just don't look sharp. But but Kelly said, you know, we got to get used to this. I mean, you know, postseason's coming up. Guess what? You're going to play at night. So, yeah. You got to get you're one of the top four seeds in the SEC and you get the double bye and, you know, you're you're going to be one later games usually. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. I mean, yet you said this would be a big win. It'd be a huge win for this team, especially not, not just because of UConn, like you said, the first win for Kelly in this rivalry, but with the way the last week and a half's gone, this would be gigantic and it, it would get, you know, hopefully, you know, it'd get kind of momentum going back in the lay of all's favor, but it, it's, it's big for a lot of reasons. I've been very excited for this game. Um, really, I mean, before the season began, but once the season did get going and lay balls were looking, you know, good. And they're still a good team. There's still only three losses on the year. I, I just got more and more excited. And, and it's, it took a little bit of a hit because of the way the last week and a half has gone, especially the, the last Florida game. But I am still 
very excited for this game. And I, I know it's an SEC game. It's not going to affect the standings in the SEC in, in the grand scheme of things. It's it, it doesn't affect your resume a ton if you lose this game because you lose into a quality opponent on the road. So again, how much is that really going to hurt your resume? Um, you're going to have a, <clears throat> a quad one, you know, game for you here. But like you said this would be a this would be a nice kind of jewel in the crown for Lady Vols in the regular season. They have they have some very quality wins. They beat Texas. They've beaten some really good kind of top forty, top fifty teams. But they haven't really had you know this is their first chance at a big statement win since that Stanford game. And of course Stanford game didn't go Tennessee's way, but they fought hard again. Didn't have Ray Burrell in that game, um, but Stanford ultimately ended up you know prevailing. UConn and South Carolina you have coming up here very soon. Of course, then you end the regular season with LSU, and they've been you know very solid too. But these are your two premier teams on the schedule, uh, aside from Stanford right now. So I, I think this would be really huge. And you can't put all of the pressure on this game. And I, I think you made a good point earlier too. Like Tennessee is now the circled team. UConn's been the circled team for a decade, longer, I guess maybe. I don't know, but they, they they're used to it. Lady Vols aren't used to it. This is going to be the first time where Tennessee's on equal footing, I think, from a, a, a big target on your back perspective. Um, I guess this whole, for this whole season, and probably since the last time they played UConn last year, slash, you know, when they played South Carolina last year, it is, this is a rare opportunity, in my opinion, where the Lady Vols, from a, a brand recognition standpoint, is on equal footing. I mean, I would say still greater footing because of who the Lady Vols are, and I'm biased, but uh, on, on more or less equal footing with the program with UConn. So I, I we'll, we'll kind of get to some historical stuff in a second, but like, I think this is huge for a lot of reasons. And me personally, Maria, I just love seeing uh, Gina Oriama lose, and he hasn't lost to Tennessee in a long time. So I would be uh, all for him losing to Tennessee and seeing how he uh, reacts to that because I don't think he'd react very well this this year, especially. And I, I, I thought some of the anxiety on Twitter uh, last night was that people were already panicking about what could happen Sunday. And yeah. I think that that fueled some of it. Um, but I mean, what a horrible state of mind to live in. I mean, we're not even guaranteed tomorrow, people. Just, you know, just all right, that game's over with now. Get, get ready for the next one. I, I couldn't live in that. And I'm a huge sports fan. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Tar Heel. I love the Braves. But when the game's over, the game's over. It's it's you know it's time to go on with whatever's going on in my life next. It's not anything that lingers that lingers with me, and it, that could be because I've written about sports so much. You just can't get into that live and die mode. You you'll mm-hmm. never make it. But I, it, even when Tennessee was was losing games, I mean you know when they struggled with some seasons, you know they had you know not that long ago. I think they lost fourteen games in a season, twelve games in a season. Yeah. Even then, when an SEC team beat Tennessee, because you don't have a board, it doesn't have many wins against Tennessee. Even then, when Tennessee had a you know double-digit losses, teams would celebrate like you would not believe when they beat Tennessee. It's just a big deal to beat mm-hmm. Tennessee. And, and now that target, which was always big, has gotten even bigger, and this team has got to carry the weight. They're carrying the weight of the history of Tennessee. And, and, and that's, that's not an easy, that's not an easy uh, little wagon to pull around behind you. And they, they got to figure out, you can say I came here and I want to be part of the legacy of Tennessee and win a national championship, but to actually do that and carry those expectations game in and game out, that is not easy for adults, much less kids barely out of high school. 
That is a great point. And yeah, this is not a it's a it's a weight that I guess it's a it's a time that this this team specifically has gotten closer to kind of relieving that weight than any team in the past three or four years. But but it's still we're in February. We were still a, a month away from when the Lady Vols are had made their name and the reason why they are known as the premier program in, in women's basketball because of what they did in March and April. So you still got another month, month and a half before you get to that point where the Lady Vol brand and, and power came from. So yeah, no, it's it's a very good point. Speaking of which, speaking of that brand and power, when I texted ask if you could join me to do this uh, a week a week or so ago, because I want to talk about the UConn game, you, you mentioned that you were there for the dunk that happened with with against UConn. So I got to ask you some of your some of your favorite moments from the Tennessee UConn rivalry because I I grew up and I remember watching a little bit of it, but really when I got big into Lady Vols is when it was the tail end of like that rivalry and then it stops. Like I I don't have as many memories unfortunately from the rivalry as I wish I had, but I know you have some really cool ones, I'm sure. And some ones that, you know, a lot of all fans, lady of all fans watching slash listening to this probably have too, but I like going down and reminiscing because I think it, it kind of gets lost sometimes of just some of the really cool, interesting things that happened in this, this rivalry. The, uh, the dunk, I mean, I, what, there was a, at some point, I don't remember, I was doing an interview with a, a reporter for WBR. It's been a while about what are the, some of the, most memorable moments you've witnessed in person as a, you know, watching Tennessee. And and one of them for me was I was actually at the Arkansas Tennessee game, the infamous Clint Storner fumble game mm. when Tennessee came back to win and keep their national championship hopes on track. Yeah. The second one was uh Hartford, Connecticut. I think it was uh, January 6, 2007 when, when Candace Parker dunked, I mean, in the sequence of events leading up to that, she played about the best two minutes of basketball. I think I've seen a basketball player ever put together on the court. There's clips of it on YouTube that are just incredible, but Tennessee started out that game very strong. They just took it to UConn and and Gino made adjustments. He got uh, several of his starters out and put in, Players that, that, you know, Pat said he went with a much more athletic lineup because his starters could not do anything with Candace Parker and Shannon Bobbitt and Alexis Hornbuckle and Sidney Spencer, who was just, you know, a dead eye shooter. Oh, yeah. And Nikki Anasike. They just, they could not do anything with them. And, and, and Connecticut made it a game even after the dunk. It got, that game came down to, to the, to a Sydney, Sp- or Sydney Spencer and Shannon Bobbitt hitting huge threes. Tennessee ended up winning by three. But it was the second half. The second half had barely gotten underway. And uh, if you talk, if you ask people now, Candace told 400 people she was going to dunk at UConn. She only told a handful, but I've had so many people say, yeah, she told me she was going to dunk. I'm like, there's no way Candace could have told all these people she was going to dunk. And <laughs> after she did it, she turned and pointed to the Tennessee fans. I'm sure she was pointing to her family and, and you know, some of the other people she had told, I'm going to do it against UConn. It, you know, you got to back that up, and Candace backed it up. But the play was set up by a steal by Sidney Spencer. And you could see Candace's eyes. She saw it. She saw the steal coming, and she was already turned. And Sid just lobbed a perfect pass. And the, the reporter by me was, I think, for ESPN, it was, you know, looking down, typing the game story. I said, look up. Here it comes. I mean, you knew it was coming. And she, you know, hit that dunk, and that place – UConn does the same thing, Tennessee. They stand until the first basket. UConn had not scored yet. And and uh I think it was Mark Jackson said, Well, at least at least UConn fans got a good look at it. They're still standing up. And you could I mean, the place was not quiet, but it was just in shock. 
and and Gino called a timeout. And then, I mean, Candace blocked a shot after that, grabbed it out of the air after she blocked it, took it as a point forward all the way down the court and dished it to Nikki Anasicki for the layup. And I had, I had remember somebody who told me who had covered basketball a long time. He says, I've never seen a greater sequence of plays in my life by a basketball player. And to, to be there at that moment was just, um, it, it was one of the greatest lady ball moments ever. I mean, just to, to see her actually do it and do it against mm-hmm. your, your most bitter rival on their home floor. I mean, that's just, and that's, just, I mean, that's, and when Candace got left off the Olympic team, in 2016, which mm-hmm. I, I don't know, we've talked we've talked about probably at some point, and all she did afterwards when the news came out was tweet the video clip of that dunk. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, there's Candace's statement. Uh, hurt when I know I don't think we talked. Yeah, I don't think we talked about it. Um, actually, I, don't, I I think when the interview happened, I don't remember if I'd actually had started the Lady Vol podcast yet. I think G and I might have talked about it some, but the interview that she did with um, Taylor Rooks, where she talked about being left off the U.S. team, like that—that that was. I just love Candace Parker, and that—that that was such an insightful, such an incredible interview. And uh, <laughs> see your cat there. <laughs> um, the cat needs a snack, so I have to <laughs> get the cat. The little kid—they're growing kittens still. She needed, oh. or, or he needed a snack, and when they want a snack, they will not leave me alone until they get that snack. <laughs> um, but no, Candace Parker. I, I, I just love Candace, um, and that, that interview she talked about it and. I mean, she didn't only, she, to true to form, she didn't pull any punches. I mean, she, she spoke like she spoke her mind and said what she wanted to say. Um, it, it's, I, I've watched that play a couple of different times and I, I'm sure um, it'll be tweeted out sometime between now and Sunday or multiple times between now and Sunday by multiple accounts. I wonder if, I wonder if Candace will tweet it out again. <laughs> I, I, I'm always betting that the Lady Vault Twitter account might. Yeah, they've had a little bit of fun. They did when the series got started. They had a, a little bit of fun with it, which is good to see because you know the youngsters are in charge of the Twitter account, and that's mm-hmm. who should run your Twitter account and, and have fun on it. Um, Alexis Hornbuckle, when she was in um, in high school, she went – the, the uh, All-Americans were, you know, honored at the Final Four in New Orleans, class of 2020 uh, – class of 2004. And she and Candace and that whole crew were headed – to Tennessee and they watched the Tennessee UConn final. That's when Tennessee went on a just they uh, a, a magical run to the final four. They were not favored to go and they had a couple last second buckets. I think they beat Baylor, then they beat um uh uh who was it they beat in the final four? I just lost the team. Uh it wasn't LSU. Heck now I gotta look it up because I can't yeah, look it up too. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean I can see the play of of uh of making making the play that was in the 2003 04 LSU yeah it was LSU okay. in New Orleans yeah they beat they beat Baylor 71 to 69 in the sweet 16 then they beat Stanford 62 to 60 in the elite 8 then they beat Luke, LSU 52 to 50 goodness and the and the uh semifinal of the final four and then lost to Connecticut 70 to 61. And, and, and Alexis was in the, in the stands with Candace and all of them. And she vowed right then that she would never lose to Connecticut when she went to Tennessee. And her record is, I'm, I'm looking up the dates here. Her record when she played at Tennessee, they won 68 to 67 in 2005. They won 89 to 80 
in 2006, and they won 70 to 64 in 2007, and then Pat pulled the plug. So uh, Alexis did not get to play them a fourth time. That 89 to 80 game was was fun to watch. It, like Pat said, if you liked offense, you enjoyed. Both Pat and Gino agreed after that game that neither one of their teams played a possession of defense. They just ran up and down the court and scored. And Tennessee won 89 to 80, which is an unusual score in that game because most yeah, they so they, they were. It was it was a fun series. Uh, I understand why it came back. You know, it, it basically it was a money issue uh, at the time. Uh, you know, Holly Warlick was coaching and Gino was coaching and or still is coaching there. I don't think either head coach really wanted to do it. I think it was made at a AD level, and as a benefit for the Pat Summit Foundation, was enough to make it palatable to to bring it back. I, I think at this point, Pat would tell Kelly, "All right, you play him, but you better go beat him." <laughs> Oh, I would hope they do. Man, I I can't tell you how excited and how happy I'd be if they win that game on Sunday. And again, I'm just being totally biased here. I mean, I am a big Laval fan. I really hope they win that game. Um, it'd be huge. And yeah, I'd, I'd be very excited. I'd be very happy. Uh, but to close out the the podcast here, Maria, we, every time I have you on, we always get asked questions about recruiting. So I got to bring up a couple of points. Uh, one was that we were talking before we were recording here. Uh, Tess Darby, you mentioned her a few times already. Her little sister, Edie Darby, has committed Tennessee as a walk-on and I think that's really cool I, I love it seeing keep it in the family I love when when family follows family to the school so I, just tell us a little bit about what Edie I know you I think you I, wrote, I saw your article you wrote about it so just tell us a little bit about her and just kind of who she is as a player and kind of what she's going to bring as, as a walk-on to Tennessee Edie is a different kind of player than Tess you know Tess is about Tess is a legit 6-1 with a heck mm-hmm. of a three-point shot Edie is 5-8 she's more of a point guard combo guard she can do either She's a very uh, scrappy player. She very much likes to play defense. She'll she'll pester a team 94 feet. She's got like a Brooklyn Miles kind of personality. She, she'll Perfect. just absolutely get after a team. She willingly – she had full rides. I know Middle Tennessee State really was in on her and wanted her, and she her dream was to be at Tennessee. So she accepted the uh, the walk-on position, you know, and she'll, she's class of 22, so she will be here. And, uh, and and just a unselfish uh, kid too. They, she committed in November and kept it a secret. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, that was the the plan in November, and she kept it a secret. And the week that she she tweeted it out, what on a uh, Sunday? I, the, the, I am so date impaired. She tweeted yeah, it, was it sometime out sometime this week. I believe it was a Sunday game. She tweeted it out, and that Thursday before was Senior Day at her high school. And the before the game, the seniors were honored with where they were going to college. And she did not want to take away from her teammates because saying, I'm going to Tennessee, you know, this is Greenfield, Tennessee. That's going to, everybody's going to be so excited. I mean, the focus is going to shift to her. The story's going to shift to her. So she just had her little sign or something said, you know, to be determined. So she she didn't take away from the other players getting their due for for earning a you know a college scholarship, and I, I think you know I was ask, actually asking Kelly about this today. No, if you look at the stats, if you don't see Tennessee and you just look at the stats, nothing about Tess Darby jumps off the stats at you. But she is one of Tennessee's most efficient players, most effective players. One, she can hit shots. She does not need time to get that shot off. The ball's in her hands, and that shot is up. Two, she knows where to be on defense. She's a very heads-up player. She understands angles and deflections. 
and what she needs to do. And she's also one of their best passers into the post. She will find Tamari Key and get her the ball. And and Tennessee has got to go to Key more. And I realize, Key, you know, you've got to work to get open. You, you've got – I mean, it's a two-way thing. But Pat mm-hmm. always used to say the post players are going to get frustrated. They have to run the furthest. They run baseline to baseline. And if they are running back and forth and it's one pass and a shot and they never see the ball, they're going to get real tired of it. And they're going to get so – it's a two-way street of, of finding Tamari when, when she's open and then Tamari being able to do something when she gets the ball. And Tess is actually a player that will get the ball inside to, uh, to Tamari. So, I, I, you know, I, I think how Tess plays will be a key part of this Sunday game. She, she, is a, she has become a vital piece of Tennessee's uh, offensive strategy and, and defensive She's in the right position on defense. Sometimes it, it, not everybody can be super quick and get on the ball and track the ball like Brooklyn Miles. I mean, that most people can't do that, can't mm-hmm. pick up the ball 94 feet. But the worst thing about a defense is if one player's out of position, the whole thing falls apart. Same thing on offense. If one person doesn't do, be where they're supposed to be, the, the play breaks down. The defense really breaks down if a player's out of position and, and Tess knows where she's supposed to be on the court. So and her teammates know she knows where she's supposed to be on the court. So it's it's sort of funny sometimes if, if you isolate Tamari and freshmen do this, they get lost on defense. I don't know how many times I've seen Tamari literally shove a player, a freshman, out to where they're I mean, just two-handed push them. And I used to see Mercedes Russell do it too to the freshman mm-hmm. guards. Because the post has, you know, the post is in the back of that defense. The post has that V-shaped view of everything going on and can see what is happening your post has to be sort of your quarterback on defense Mercedes Russell is one of the best lady balls on defense that I've ever seen uh she could move people around everywhere they needed to be on defense and uh and I think that's something Tamari can do too but watch watch a couple games and and watch for what I call the, the TK shove I mean, just like, get out there. You are not supposed to be here. Get out there. <laughs> I think I've seen it a couple of times. I, I, you said that. And I was like, I think I have seen her do that before. Uh, that's good. I, I like that she does that. That's that's good knowledge and leadership, too, from her uh, to do that. Quickly, uh, to again, last recruiting note here. I know we have a couple of notes you wanted to get to. You mentioned that Tennessee had a, a big-time visitor recently also. Yeah, last Saturday. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, the days run together. It was mm-hmm. it, it was the Saturday before the um, before the Arkansas game. You know, she had to get back to to Maryland and school, so this was an up and back trip. She was not here for the game. Her name is Cadence Samuels. She is a six one guard out of uh, Forestville, Maryland. Uh, she absolutely lit up the summer showcase. I don't know what her ranking is. Um, it's probably too low right now, and I it would expect it to really climb I don't even think she's in the super 60 and I say that because I don't care what a player's ranking is Justine Passat was like 75 when Kelly saw her and Kelly saw her like six weeks after she got the job and Kelly was like I want this player Mm -hmm. and I mean she saw what she saw on the course Kelly doesn't need to see a number 10 beside that player to to go out she's I mean a number 10 is perfectly good beside a player but, I mean, Justine ended up at number 11 in the country just simply because the right people started paying attention. So I tell people – when people say what she ranked, I'm like, what does it matter? Is kind of my response. So mm-hmm. Cadence, I would expect to climb through these rankings when people, you know, finally start realizing how she can play. But she is a 
she she can feel a lot of she is I've, I've watched some clips of her and talked to some people who've seen her play she is absolutely relentless on defense relentless loves to play defense incredibly high motor uh can jump as as tremendous uh basketball skills and also as has the ability to shoot and get in the paint she is she's uh She's a perfect kind of player, like a Renaya Davis or a Ray Burrell, that that kind of player that that um, that that you want. And um, the hardest thing to do in recruiting is track what are really committable offers. I mean, I see offers people all the time on Twitter. You know, thank you for the offer, and I'm like, mm, you know, I'm, I'm I don't always know for sure, but I'm thinking that may not be a committable one. Like, you can't yep. call the head coach and say, I'm committing. Right now, because, you know, that that's probably not the position you're in just yet. But this is a player I think has a committable, committable offer. Tennessee offered in December. And, you know, she, if she called Tennessee and said, you know what, I want to come to Tennessee, they would they would take her on, on the spot. So okay. I don't expect any imminent commits. I think it's – I still don't think the 23 kids are going to do anything that quick. I think you'll see more of that happening in late spring, summer, early fall. But definitely someone who her, her parents came, some of her siblings came, which is always a good sign, you mm-hmm. know, that, that the family comes and just seems like a, a Tennessee kind of kid, uh, a Tennessee kind of player. The key thing I noticed last night after that hor- I mean, the horrible game, there's really no other way to describe that loss. That is a time where a recruit might start having, you know, second thoughts or, you know, she, that is after like 17, 15 minutes after that loss, she started tweeting her series of visit photos. She did them in like four different galleries of four photos each and talking about how much she enjoyed her visit to Tennessee. And I'm like, that is what caught my eye about her. Most, you don't see that kind of response to a visit after a a pretty brutal loss. No, not usually. No, <laughs> no, that's a good point. No, that, that shows a lot of respect for Tennessee that she did it after that, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, if I were Tennessee, I'd have been on, uh, I'd have been texting her after that game, you know. Did you see this? We need you. I mean, yep. you're down here. So, but, yep. you know, I, but like I said, it is very hard to track what is a committable offer. I mean, I've tracked 20, 25 kids. They don't all hold committable offers, but I would say Caden Samuels definitely does. After after this, uh, I'm done with this. I'm gonna go watch some of her clips. I'm gonna go to your Twitter and see if I can. You, I'm sure you retweeted stuff for her. I'm gonna go see if I can go find some of her videos and stuff because it sounds she sounds good. So I'm gonna go watch her. Stuff. Yeah, I, check I saw Huddle it. too. Huddle shows okay. her some of her defensive highlights, and I love it when players put up defensive highlights because I mean, what? How do yep. you play on yep. that side of the ball? And she's um she's rangy. She's got length. Uh, mm. Just just like I said, she reminds me of like a Renaya Ray type of player with the ability to uh, affect the game on both ends. And she may be, I mean, she could be somebody that could turn into a really outstanding defender. Ray doesn't always get enough credit for her defense. Ray can log in on a defender and Tennessee's Mm going to need that from her going forward. She, Mm -hmm. her defense could be outstanding. I'm not going to knock her for the Florida game because I didn't see a whole lot of defense at any of the five spots on the floor. So I'm not, there's no point calling out any one player. That was a team. Yeah. That was a team collapse on defense. Yeah, that was a team effort or team lack of effort on defense on that one. Uh, no, yeah, that, that excites me. When you mentioned that she's kind of reminds you a bit of a Renaya or Ray, I thought, well, okay, that's exactly what they're going to need because Ray's going to move on here soon. I and mean, they don't have Renaya, obviously. So that's the fill that hole. That's exactly what you kind of need. So that's, that's, I'm, I'm very intrigued to go watch her, her film. So 
Well, Maria, it's been fantastic having you on here. Obviously, had a lot to talk about. Still a lot more we could have talked about, um, but I didn't want to keep you for two hours or anything like that. I know you have a life outside of this. So uh, thank you so much. And I know everyone who's watching and listening to this probably already knows and probably follows your work and stuff, but still let everybody know where you, you know, where they can find your stuff. If you have anything coming out before the UConn game that you may want to you know, let people know to go look at as well. It's govals247.com. It's also my Twitter is MM Cornelius. My YouTube channel is MM Cornelius. You can find it. Please subscribe. I, I put up post-game pressers and highlights as quickly as I can after the game. Also, Kelly's presser was already up today. Um, the final season is the book I wrote about Pat that was published, obviously, in 2016. If you want to know why she canceled the Yukon series, it is explained in that book. If you would like to just jump to that chapter, it does details a phone conversation that she had with, with Gino and the source of that story. Uh, the source for that information I can say now because she has passed away was Pat Summit herself. It came from her. So pretty hmm. unimpeachable source there. Yeah. So support women's sports. And Nathaniel, thank you for what you do for bringing attention to women's sports. This is the 50th anniversary of Title IX. The landmark legislation passed in 1972 changed the lives of women in academics and athletics. And thank you for being one of the ones who who understands the importance of women's sports and women's sports coverage. You are appreciated. Well, thank you, Maria. I really appreciate it uh, hearing that and you saying that. But obviously you have been a, a big uh, torchbearer, torch carrier for that, for like you said, covering Lady Balls for 25 years. Um, I'm glad to see women's athletics getting more attention now, not just basketball, but you look at gymnastics and the coverage it's, it's getting now, um, here, especially in the SEC, but in Big Ten and Big 12 country too. Just it, the, that specifically, softball obviously has, has grown a lot in the last 10, 15 years. It's just women's athletics in general getting more attention. I, I love it. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was to bring more attention to the Lady Vols, but also just college basketball for women in general and just basketball in general, women's basketball, WNBA stuff as well. And, and the new, uh, athletes unlimited thing that's been going on too, which is really cool. I saw there's a couple, uh, former Lady Vol players that are playing in that too. So that's always, that's, that's really cool too. So, uh, but thank you. And again, yeah, you said 50 years of title nine. That's huge. It's awesome. Uh, Pat summit again, go read, go read, check out Maria's book. It's phenomenal. I need to actually go back and I've only read a few excerpts of it, Maria. I'm sorry. I'm actually had to get a copy and actually read it and, and let you know when I do. Okay. I'll be trying to find time to do all we need to do during basketball season. It's just, oh, yeah. it just, yeah, it's, and then, you know, we'll get a, but then you roll right into softball and baseball. And then, you know, summer before you know it, it's SEC media days and preseason football. It just, yep. it's, it doesn't end, which is good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, looking, sports for, fan I'm is... looking forward to softball and baseball too. Seeing, seeing oh, how yeah. they do yeah, no, life of a sports fan is pretty never ending as long as you're not just a fan of like one or two sports. You like all the sports. You're just booked all year round pretty much now with the I mean, Winter Olympics are going on too. So you've got all kinds of stuff to to watch and keep track of. But again, Maria, thank you so much for being on. Go go follow her if you all don't already. I'm, I'm sure most of you, all of you probably do. But go if you if you haven't, check out her work on Go Balls Tour 7. Uh, we really appreciate all the support you've given us and go support Maria as well. And just go support Lay Balls and like Maria said, support women's athletics in general. But thank you all so much for tuning in. Again, subscribe to the channel while you're here. Like it, like this video, and subscribe to our podcast as well. I'm Nathaniel, and that is Maria. Thank you all so much. This has been another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Feeder Podcast. <laughs>